Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Hey everyone, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown, and I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Guy Marzarati, in this week for Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, we're joined by a rising star in the state legislature whose district has a lot at stake in Governor Gavin Newsom's fight with oil companies. That's right, Democratic Assemblymember Lori Wilson's here. She just won her first full term representing a district in Solano County that includes an oil refinery, putting her in an interesting position as the governor pushes for more oversight of that industry. We're going to talk to Wilson about her rise out of poverty and what it was like for her military religious family when one of her kids came out as transgender. It's going to be a great conversation. But first, Guy, um, it looks like the we thought there was no election in 2023. Psych. There's not an election, <laughs> but the race has begun to fill U.S. Senate uh, seat that is currently held by Dianne Feinstein, who has not actually said she's going to step down. Um just a statement saying you're, everyone's welcome to throw Just their hat in the ring. Everybody's welcome. We will see. Uh, Diane Feinstein, of course, has represented that just uh, the state in uh, the Senate since 1992, and there's been a lot of speculation over recent years uh, at her age if she would stick around. Uh, Katie Porter, Orange County representative, was the first to throw her hat in the ring this week and immediately raised over a million dollars. Got you know Elizabeth Warren, senator from Massachusetts, endorsement, but she's not going to be alone. Is she already? She's not. I mean, we're hearing reports that Barbara Lee uh, told colleagues in the House that she will eventually get into this race. Oakland Congresswoman, Congresswoman from yeah. the East Bay. Um, and then, you know, there's a, a kind of a list of people that we expect to get in. Congressman Adam Schiff, Ro Khanna, potentially here in the Bay Area as well. One thing that stands out to me about this early field, number one, it's all Democrats, right? And they bring pretty unique constituencies uh, into this primary whether you're talking about geography, NorCal, Southern California, or just kind of political lanes. I think we could anticipate a, a situation in which Barbara Lee and Ro Connor are competing for Bernie voters. There's natural ties between Katie Porter and uh, Elizabeth Warren, as you pointed out. Adam Schiff may be appealing to the traditional Dianne Feinstein constituency, which really leaves in our top two primary an opportunity for Republicans if they're organized, if they're savvy, maybe not holding our breath, but... Potentially you getting can't see someone. my face on the radio, right. but I'm a little skeptical given the last few elections. And just the fact it's not that there's not the possibility of doing that and coalescing around someone. It's just the state party hasn't really made that right their priority, it seems. And I do get it. In some of these races, it's hard to kind of find a sacrificial lamb. But to your point, there is a lane here. I mean, what's interesting, though, too, is that given, you know, how much press time Adam Schiff got during the January 6th uh, committee, during the insurrection, uh, previous to that, during the first Trump impeachment, given how much airtime Katie Porter's gotten with her whiteboards and taking folks like Chase CEO Jamie Dimon to task. 
I bet you if you walk outside our studio and ask three people who Adam Schiff and Katie Porter is, yeah. at least two out of three of them don't know. And so there's a lot of opportunity here. I think on the other side of that, Adam Schiff is so disliked by the right. Um, I think that in a weird way, if a good candidate doesn't get in as a Republican or if it ends up being two Democrats in the top two, you might not see people actually voting just based on sort of those conservative liberal lanes. There's a lot of sort of personalities here. The other thing is these folks that we're talking about are all currently hold elected office. So there's the potential for enormous trickle down movement to come opening congressional seats in the Bay Area and L.A. and Orange County. Um, And I think that's why I have the date December 8th, 2023 circled. That's basically the filing deadline. I think you're going to see potentially candidates get in and really have to make the decision pretty quickly Can they kind of get public attention to what you're referring to? Can they raise money? Can they get their name out there? Or they're going to potentially give up their seat. So that that calculus has to be made because the primary is back in March. At least for now, I am hearing there's ready legislation out there in Sacramento to potentially uh, move the primary. We'll see where it lands. But currently, it's at the very beginning of March. It's not as much time as we think. It's not. And I think the other thing is we should say you don't have to be a member of Congress to run for U.S. Senate, right? (laughs) Right. Even though all four of these are sitting Congress members. So there's a possibility that other players in this state could jump into this race. And I do think that we should keep an eye on that, not just Republicans, but other Democrats. Um, It is sort of funny, right, that at this point, It's just all people in the U.S. House, which I don't blame them. They want to get out of there. They're in the minority. It's not that fun. And these chances don't come around often, as we've seen. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Before we go, Governor Gavin Newsom did unveil his budget proposal for the fiscal year that begins in July. Guy, this is very different from his first four years. Looks like we have a deficit, not a surplus. Um, But the governor says, don't worry. It's fine. I don't even need to tap into our state savings. Uh, it does look, and, and talking to folks in the last few days, it does seem like people are feeling pretty good about the state's finances for the coming year. I think the question is, what happens in the years ahead with the potential recession? Yeah, give them truth serum. I mean, $22.5 billion, which is the projected shortfall. It sounds like a huge number, but it can be made up, as Newsom is showing, with a lot of kind of moving money around, pushing back expenditures. I think the real concern is a recession hits. And then it's really a conversation about severe cuts, about tapping into the rainy day fund. I think right now what you're seeing the discussion largely around this year is accountability. Absolutely. I just got off the phone with someone in the Newsom's administration about that. They want to go really toe-to-toe to make sure that a lot of the th- uh, ambitious things the governor has been putting money into, especially around homelessness and housing, is actually happening at the local level. And then I think more broadly, to your point, and not just accountability, but just implementation. The governor rolled out a lot of stuff, transitional kindergarten, expansion of health care benefits. They want to see that through. We had his new chief of staff on last week. Go back and listen if you haven't heard it. Uh, but a lot to to unpack in the coming months with that sort of uncertainty in the economy. All right, we're going to take a short break now. When we come back, we'll chat with State Assemblywoman Lori Wilson. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. 
Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with Instant Pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos, here today with Guy Marzarati, and we have with us Lori Wilson. She represents Solano County in the State Assembly and just won her first full term after taking the seat in a special election last spring. Assemblymember Wilson, welcome to The Breakdown. Hi, how are you? Glad to be here. Yeah, glad Great to have you. you. Congratulations on the full Thank term. You. Yes, I'm excited about that. Yeah, so we'll get into some of what you want to do with your time in Sacramento soon, but we did want to talk a little bit, introduce yourself to our listeners. Um, I know you were born and raised in Fresno, one of four kids to a single mom. You yes. talked to Guy in the past about vo- spending a lot of time volunteering as a kid. What what led to that? I did, I did. And just so you know, even though there's four to a single mom, there are a total of eight of us when you count when you added my father. So I am number two wow. of eight and number two of four um, on my mom's side, who I primarily live with. But yeah, so I, so and I didn't find this out until I was an adult. But because um, people ask, oh, how did you get into this? And I've been, I've been volunteering my whole life, you know. And that's really because I had a young mom who, by the time she was twenty-one, had all four of her babies and worked and um you know there wasn't quality childcare back then and sad to say we haven't made as much progress as we need to in that area we have but not as much as we need to where people are still opposed with that same issue and so what she would do is we would be i remember volunteering at the salvation army at like feeding stations going to the library and putting books away going to the museum and cleaning stuff i mean i remember volunteering really all over fresno and come to find out it was really um free childcare. So, how old were you when this started? I gotta ask. I, I feel like I was like probably like kindergarten. Wow. <clears throat> Excuse me, like kindergarten. Like, my earliest memories was elementary, and including like st- I remember staying after school a long time, like staying after school and helping the teacher, or you know going to daycare and being a part of that. So come to find out, like the times we were in daycare, a lot of times we didn't. My mom didn't have to pay because she had worked it out that we would be helpers. And I mean, having that many siblings, it's like almost like you have a built-in friend group. So I could see a lot of uh, advantages that come with that. But you've also talked about, you know, having some dysfunction, some instability uh, in your childhood right. coming up. I mean, what are some of the things that you and your family dealt with? Yeah, I remember for sure. Um, you know, there were times where my mom, you know, we didn't have shelter where she was in between. So we lived a lot in housing, project housing, projects, what we called it, but, you know, Mm -hmm. government housing um, later. But early on, I remember us doing a lot of rental properties, whether it's like a small home or um, an apartment, and we would always be in between. It was always unstable. So there were times where we had to be either in the shelter or staying with a family on their couch or in a car. And then it wasn't until probably um, like late, late elementary that we finally moved into like stable government housing and stayed in that you know I till I left and became an adult um and so that was really helpful but up into my early like early elementary I remember just every changing schools a lot and um, always living in a different place mm-hmm. you know it just wasn't stable and, it, and sometimes it was with family and there were a few nights um for sure where we we didn't have a place and we would be like long term in a hotel I remember my mom would always get us um, those uh, oat bran because she thought it was really healthy, uh, but it looked kind of like dog food. It was like a square. <laughs> but I will tell you this. My mom was really resourceful and I always appreciated that. I mean, I think I learned in my own life how to start over every day from her. 
you know, um, because she, every day she'd have a terrible day, but then the next day she would try again. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you had, if nothing else, a loving family. And I know, um, you had a a really close relationship with the church and faith in your childhood. I think through your grandmother, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So my, um, so both sides of my family were, um, pretty religious, but my grandmother, actually my father's side, um, Lois Jeffries was her maiden name, um, married name Johnson, which is where I get my maiden name from. And, um, she was a strong woman of faith. And so whenever we would visit her, we had to go to church. It was just absolutely had to go hands down. And she belonged to a Pentecostal church, which meant all day church. Oh <laughs> yeah. Know, all day church on Sunday. And then there was definitely a multiple service during the week. And then the summer there was like constant revival. So you were going from church to church to church and, you know, and that's where you learn to be a part of the choir, even if you can't sing and I cannot sing. So that won't happen. (laughs) But the cool thing about growing up in church, not just with faith is that, um, you know, you always had to do recitals of like scriptures or poems or things like that. So it taught you how to speak in front of people, but it gave me a strong foundation of faith of, um, recognizing, like I said, when we were with our mom, you know, that was pretty unstable. Um, but I, but I had this, you know, foundation of God and him being able to, I knew he could take care of my life. There was this scripture that I learned really early on about how he takes care of birds of the air and fish in the sea. And so of course he would take care of me. And um, so that kind of, that definitely helped me uh, a long ways. And then speaking to the reset, my mom used to always say, there's a, um, a scripture where it talks, his mercies are new in the morning. And so at some point I got to be a pretty handful rambitious child, which those are good people because they change the world later proof, in the pudding. But um, it, it says uh, his mercies are new in the morning. And so I learned really early on that, like, she would send me to bed early sometimes. She'd be like, your mercies have run out. They'll be new tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to use that with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you'll get new mercies in the morning. Go to bed. I swear. Like, yeah. do, And I'll do that sometimes. If I have a really frustrating day, I would be like, you know what? Tomorrow is a new day. Yeah. And so today I'm going to call it done and I'm going to bed. And it was as a handful rambunctious kid that you met your husband right sixth seventh grade seventh seventh grade I blush a little bit because I don't know if I did I tell you guy how we met no I want to hear this oh my gosh so this is I don't I can't believe I'm putting this out in, in public public land but um so we met okay two weeks into the school year I was the first fight of the school year a boy and I won't remember I won't mention his name because I still know him but a boy took his 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 belt off to like fake like spanking with me with it. And um, so I took it out of his hand and I I did hit him with it. <laughs> so my husband was in the crowd that watched that fight. And that was the first time he knew who Lori Johnson was. The first time a whole bunch of people in our I bet. knew who Lori Johnson was. And so I was the one that you didn't mess with. And if you did, I was going to go, you know, toe to toe with you. Because that's a bit red blushes, we we're going to call it. <laughs> was he, so how long did it take to become a romantic relationship? So we were friends um, from seventh through 12th grade. And we didn't, we became spades partners. Um, for those who know what spades are, we became spades partners in the 10th grade. Um, and so through that relationship is it started to play into banter. And then by the time we got into the 12th grade is when we started dating. The belt may have given him a little bit uh, reluctance to get involved at first, perhaps. <laughs> Earlier on, earlier on, yeah. But so, and your husband, I know, is in uh, served in the military, and that ended up right, kind of taking your family on its path uh, from the Central Valley to Northern California. Yes, absolutely. So we um, we both. I went to um, Fresno State. 
um, outside of, so we went to, we were in school together from seven through 12th at Edison Computech in Fresno. And then I went to Fresno state and he went to UC Davis, but we also had a son. Um, um, we had our um, oldest son, Tyler, um, born in 94. And so, um, we were both single parents while being separate at schools and we were still together as a couple, but raising, um, our son, um, together. And then we decided to go ahead and get married and he decided to join the military. And so that took us to Cannon Air Force Base in New Mexico. And then shortly thereafter, within a year, we were transferred to Travis Air Force Base um, in Solano County. And that was when we decided that um, we wanted to stay uh, in the area. And so that's how I got to Northern California. So I always joke that I raised and we raised our family here. And so I always joke that I raised Northern Californians, but I, I'm a Central Valley girl, you know, at heart all through and through. So you you get there. Um, you had another child. I know you really love Susan City um, and Thank you me. got pretty involved in the community and you actually got licensed and ordained as a minister. I did. How did that lead to a career in politics? Right. And so um, so in my in my heart of hearts, you know, I love people and I've always have. Like, so I started to do more with my church and then decided to become licensed and ordained. And through that, I did a project. We called it Hope for the Hungry. And we um, partnered with local food banks as well as the Moscone Center, who just does their international food show. But I realized I didn't know my own community that well, like my own leaders. And then over time, we were having issues in the city and there wasn't a lot for children to do. Um, and so that's how that was that gave me the idea to get involved. At first, it wasn't me. I was trying to get other people to be involved. Yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, not unusual for women. <laughs> right. I mean, even for people who are involved in, you know, local in their community, actually like going forward and running for yeah. office is pretty daunting. I mean, was there somebody both when you ran for the first time and then when you came up short in your first run, was there, was there someone saying like, go for it again? This is what you're meant to be doing. Yeah. So the people who I was asking to run, they eventually were like, you should do it. You're the one who keep asking everybody. You should do it. So I said, OK, I will do it. I told my husband that I'll do it and I'll do it in two years. So this was 2008. And I said, I'll do what I work I need to do. I'll do it maybe in 2010. Um, and so, and, and then 2010 arose and I didn't do any work for it. Right. Like I was still doing my volunteer, but I didn't do anything political. And to be honest, I didn't know what to do, to yeah. do. Like, <laughs> no, you know, but it, it somehow magically over those two years, I was going to do something political, but no, um, it was my husband actually who challenged me. Um, cause he's like, Oh, are you going to run? I was like, no, cause it came out in the paper and he noted it that, you know, it was open, um, to file. And I said, no. And he was like, why not? And I was like, oh, because, you know, I didn't do that. I said I was going to do. And I know I said I wanted to do it, but I'm not going to do it. And he was like, well, hey, he was like, you know, you keep promises to everybody else, but I rarely see you keep promises to yourself. And so when he said that, I was like, a ball I was like, oh, man. There and we now go. you're in the state assembly. Can't get away now from it now. Yes. Um, I want to ask before we start talking about policy a little bit more about your family, because as we mentioned, you're a woman of faith, you're a mom, yes. um, and you've been very open about the fact that one of your children is transgender. I, I'm mm -hmm. wondering, you know, being respectful, obviously, to his privacy as well. Right. Can you just talk about that process as a family and like what yeah. that was like, especially given, you know, you're a military family, you're a religious family. Was that rough? It wasn't rough from the point of view of... Um, it was only rough because it's a teenager, right? and 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 when you're um, 
dealing with a teenager on any issue, it could be difficult for a family. Mm-hmm. And so the being trans wasn't difficult, but dealing with a teenager going through hormonal changes yeah. and, you know, peer pressure and all that, that part was probably the most challenging part. Um, but no, I mean, you know, for us, we had always raised our children um, to, I had an idea from the moment I got pregnant, even as just a young, you know, senior in high school, is because I knew of the dysfunction of my own family that I wanted to raise a whole and healthy child. So that was like my intent the first time I got pregnant. And when I got pregnant the second time, this person is going to be a, not a whole and healthy child, sorry, a whole and healthy adult. It was raised a whole and healthy adult. So we had always raised them to be um, to be themselves and to um, love themselves and to practice self-care and you know, be involved in the community and that they were the most amazing being in the world just for being them. Um, you know, I have a saying about people that people are beautifully complex and imperfect. That word beautifully applies to both words, <laughs> beautifully complex and beautifully imperfect. And that's okay. And there's enough grace in the world for all of us. And there's enough mercy in the world for all of us. And so I'd always raise them that way. So when Kai came to us and um, at, it was 16 actually says, I think, I think I'm gay. And then a few months later, no, like, I think I might be bi. And then, um, no, 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 it went bi, sorry, bi, gay, and then trans and realizing like, no. And so through that time period, we were like, hey, let's get you in talking with somebody so you know how to articulate what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And so had a therapist who was involved with our family and um, he went to see a therapist and, 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 and was able to articulate really what he was feeling inside. And every step of the way we were okay. You're still caught. You're, you're still, you know, our love. And, um, and the only, cha- the real challenge part we had was the name because we had taken the time to pick our children's names, like picking yeah. things. And Kai's original name meant um, bright and shining star that you can't help but look upon it. And so when he, when he came back with like names, they were like, crazy names. I don't know you're going to talk about it, but they were like, <laughs> we're like, we're not calling you that. And so, and, and they were random. Like every once in a while, I said, here's what I need you to do. We took the time to come up with your name. You need to think about what your new name is and, and take the time to have for it to have meaning. And so we end up staying with the same meaning and it was, you know, a bright light, mm-hmm. um, a bright shining light. And so it's Chiron is, mm-hmm. is, and it happened to be very similar to the original name. And so it was really easy because we had called him Kai quite a bit. And so already, so then the nickname didn't change too much at all. And so it was, I think it was challenging for our family to deal with someone going through a teen. And I'm sure it's challenging for families going through it when they're even younger, because at least at a teen, they have a better um, sense of themselves, a better sense of articulation and easy to learn how to articulate better. Um, But I think for us, it was the hormonal, that the angst that you go through as a teen anyway, um, that made it more challenging, but I'm thankful that I was able to go through this process with my best friend, who's my husband. Um, since we had known each other so long, we were just in it together and always had been. And then, you know, our family was really accepting. There were some who, 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 it was a challenge for them. Um, but at the end of the day, this is my child, the person who came from me and they are um, supreme above any other family member. And so they, you know, folks had to deal with it and include my friends. But what was neat is being in this space of um, a religious circle and conservative circles just through military, how many um, families were secretly struggling mm-hmm. and because we were so open and out that they could come and get guidance. And so I feel really great that we've been able to be impactful to families who weren't out front with it, but they saw what we were going through and then they came to talk. And so we were able to give 
good wisdom, good guidance, you know, how to navigate. And I, and I really believe some of those families are better off. Well, not, not necessarily the family, the family was, but those children were better off having had, having had their parents have someone to talk to that they would have been um, being guided purely by um, traditions and not based on the wholeness of a human being. And that's really what has to be at the center of that. And we've even seen you bring a lot of this experience to your work at the Capitol Ready. You worked on some legislation last year around gender affirming care. But we do want to pivot and talk about this special session that's underway called by Governor Gavin Newsom to deal with oil prices. And you represent a district that includes one of California's oil refineries uh, in Benicia. How are you thinking about, you know, the state's mandates to reach uh, goals around reducing emissions, the jobs and the economy that comes with these refineries in your district as we're in uh, this special session? Yeah, so here's the deal. I mean, we all know we need clean air. And I know living, even before coming to the assembly, how important clean air is because in Sassoon City, we have one of the highest asthma rates in the area, yet we don't have these producing industries that produce that air. It's it's being shipped in, so to speak, via our West Wind. And so I recognize the importance of um, having clean air and making sure that we have policies that get us there. Um, and being aggressive when we have to. My thing has always been about bringing everybody to the table and bringing everybody along. And sometimes we can be so aggressive that we leave people behind and we have backlash and then we don't actually have real progress in our laws. Um, And so for me, I try to be really balanced because a lot of people who work in my, um, who live in my district actually work in these refineries and depend on them for their economic vitality. Um, And so I wanna be sensitive to that. But I also want to recognize that in order for us to um, thrive, we have to be healthy. So we have to have clean air. Well, let me ask you, yeah, because last year, you know, the governor kind of in the 11th hour of the legislative session came forward with a package of bills um, and you voted for some of those. And one that didn't make it through, you chose not to vote on at all. This would have increased the state's goals to reduce gas house emissions, greenhouse gas emissions. Why not? Why did you choose not to vote on that bill specifically? Like, how does that fit in with what you're talking about? Right. Balance? Because I think and that and I think that one fits perfectly for balance because it's about we have to hit these targets and we weren't on track to hit the current target. And so then we move the target again. And so I feel like let's let's make sure we're on track to hit the current and we show an opportunity to stretch and then we can hit this. Then mm-hmm. we can create a stretch goal. But we haven't even created the capacity for the current current level. And how do we then create capacity for the stretch? And so it's just setting ourselves up a failure and it sets us up in the community like, see, you're not doing anything. You're just putting out these goals and you're not doing anything to achieve these goals. So I would like us to work on achieving the first set of goals, creating the capacity to stretch and then put the stretch goal in place. When it comes to this special session, we're still a little thin on details, but the governor has put forward this idea of putting a penalty on oil companies for excess profits. There's another idea about maybe limiting how many refineries can undergo maintenance at one time. What are your thoughts on those ideas? And have you had any conversations with the governor's office as this special session is underway? But no, we haven't had much discussions. I'm aware of the proposal. I don't have any early thoughts on it. I'm open. Um, but I also understand, you know, the supply and demand side of things. I understand the trend over a number of years, um, especially, you know, with the pandemic and 20 years being 
you know, decrease profits. And so I'm, I'm balanced. I'm trying to be balanced and looking at all of that before I come up um, with my own opinion, you know, firm, affirmative opinion on it. It does seem like there's a sea change that's happened, though, right? I mean, the way you and Democrats from, say, the Central Valley, where they're actually drilling oil, are not giving like a full throated defense of the industry. And you're acknowledging the challenges. I mean, do you do you feel like we're at a turning point here? No, absolutely. Because I think people realized um, a couple of things. One is that this it's still reversible in a lot of ways in terms of our environment. And then secondly, I think there's new technologies emerging emerging that are going to give people an opportunity to be able to still have it, you know, have be to have an economic progress in their lives. Because the thing I've noticed, um, especially being in this district compared to Fresno, there are so many people in my district who work at or refineries. And it was interesting when I first started to um, delve into this area because I served on BACMAD, how it was like fourth and fifth generation. I mean, like it was like, you know, the family job, mm-hmm. right? Um, everybody worked in the refinery in some aspect. So how many people were dependent on it and how I had to be mindful, even in my own speech of like, how do I then help transition people off of this? And it was similar to um, you know, what they had to do with coal and all of that. And so I have a ton of books that I have to read um, in regard to what we, what worked well in, when we were doing that transition in, in the Midwestern states and, and what didn't to help guide how we do that effectively here in California, because I don't want to leave people behind. That was Solano County Assemblymember Lori Wilson. Thank you so much for coming on The Breakdown. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And that's it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Guys, our producer, our engineer is Jim Bennett. For more politics coverage from KQED, subscribe to our Political Breakdown newsletter. Delivered to your inbox every Thursday. Check that out at kqed.org slash newsletters. I'm Guy Marzarati. And I'm Marisa Lagos. See you next week. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair, available wherever you get your podcasts.